All right, welcome to Ducks and Pucks again. This is your host, Mike Walters, along with my co-host, Eddie Jones. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about some of the younger Ducks prospects. Got a guest for you that we're going to introduce here in a second. Um, we're going to go over the uh, Boudreaux interview we talked about last week, uh, discuss some possible third, fourth line combinations, and of course, we'll uh, have some NHL news and uh, fan questions that we will uh, answer for you. Uh, first up on the show, we have Thomas Harrington, who has been on our blog doing a lot of writing. He's been covering uh, the NHL draft for us in regard to the Ducks and uh, the prospects as well. Um, and it got a lot of positive feedback. Um, glad to have Thomas on the staff. Uh, Thomas, you're from the Bay Area, and you're a Ducks fan. Why are you not a Sharks fan? Uh, actually, I'm from SoCal. Uh, I've been living in the Bay Area now for about four years, though. All right. And uh, as far as the prospects, um, what do you think as far as how we're doing? Uh, it seemed like we had a good draft uh, from the articles that you were writing about. And what do you think as far as our picks? Uh, I love the picks. Um, I think Nick Ritchie is a fantastic prospect. He's a big kid. He's going to be a future power forward. He plays on the left side. Um, I think he's going to get a couple of games with the Ducks this season. Um, like they did with Raquel a couple of years ago, and then some back to juniors. And then I think next season he's got a great shot of making the team, um, lining up either next to Getzloff and Perry or on the second line next to Kessler. Yeah, I mean, Ricci's, uh, you know, he seems to be a really good fit on that top line. I mean, I watched the highlights on his YouTube video. It seems like, you know, he's a big body, he's got good hands, can score, go to the net. Um, how many games do you think uh, we might see him this year at the NHL level? Uh, I would think a maximum of nine because if he plays in that 10th game, his uh, rookie entry-level contract will kick in where he plays less than 10. Um, that contract will slide into next season, so I think we'll see him a maximum of nine games this year. All right, that makes sense. Um, besides uh, Ricci, is there anybody else that you see in that pool that could be uh, on the Ducks uh, lineup for you know nine games or less this uh, coming season? Uh, of the Ducks' recent draft picks this season, I don't think so. Um, the, uh, director of duck scouting, um, Martin Madden was on record as saying that all the later picks after the first round are long-term projects three to five years away from being ready for the NHL. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Um, we, we saw, uh, some of the picks, um, that you had written about and it seemed like out of all of them that Ricci obviously being the first round pick would be the, the number one guy up there. Um, what about as far as uh, Gibson? Do you see him being in goal more? You know, a lot of people are giving us questions about Anderson and Gibson. Do you think he'll play uh, a majority of the season this year? The Ducks goalie situation is an interesting one because they have two goalies on one-way contracts, Anderson and LaBarbera, and then they've got John Gibson, who's on a two-way contract. Uh, the Ducks don't like having one-way contracts buried in the minors. The only one I can think of in recent time was uh, Brad Stobbitz. And the Ducks traded him as soon as they could. So they right. may have a tandem of Anderson and LaBarbera in Anaheim. But if you give him as the real backup and call him up from the AHL when they need someone to play in a tough situation. Or they may carry three goalies. Or if Gibson is that good, they'll just bite the bullet and put LaBarbera in the minors. Because the, uh, the tandem of Gibson-Anderson is so cheap to begin with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of what I'm hoping for is more of a Gibson-Anderson uh, combo, you know. I, that's what I, I would think. But I know once we signed LaBarra, then all of a sudden everyone was like, hey, what's this move? What's going on? You know, and it seems like um, 
just as you said from some of the fan polls that we've taken, it seems like Anderson might be number one and LaBarbera might be on the bench uh, more often than um, Gibson. Yeah, I think what would be ideal is if they could somehow get both goalies starting 50-plus games, but the only way to do that is to make sure Gibson gets some playing time in the AHL. But I think it's going to just come down to how well the three goalies perform in training camp. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how those three fit. What about uh, uh, Smith, Pelly, and Edom? How do you see them fitting in? You know, they played you know just a handful of games uh, last year, and then uh, you know Smith, Pelly took off on the top line in the playoffs. How do you see those two guys fitting in uh, this coming season? I think the uh, Ducks will have both Smith, Pelly, and Emerson Edom on their roster this season. Um, Smith Pelly is still a restricted free agent. He has yet to sign a new contract, but once he does, I expect it to be a one-year deal, probably for two or three years, and he'll be in the lineup full-time. I can almost, uh, I'm fairly positive about that. Uh, Edom is going to have a little bit of a tougher time because he's still on a two-way contract. The Ducks can send him back to Norfolk without exposing him to wa- waivers. So if he doesn't play well enough, he'll be sent back down. But based upon how he's played over the last two years, I think he is going to make the roster. Now, and there's been some discussion, too, where, where they'll go on the roster. Um, you know, obviously, we had the interview last week with Boudreaux, and they talked about Heatley on the first line. But if Heatley doesn't work out on the first line, would you like DSP on the first line, or do you see somebody else filling in on that role? If not Heatley, my first choice is actually Matt Bolesky because he's worked pretty well over the last couple seasons whenever he's gotten a chance. Um, DSP did work great in the playoffs. He looked great even when he wasn't scoring, so be happy with him. Um, I've always loved Edom's speed, so if they wanted to give him a chance just to see what he could create with, with Getzoff and Perry, I think that could be really exciting also. Uh, one thing I think they could do is um, pair Edom and DSP on the same line, the way they did back in the day with Getzoff and Perry, and have um, Thompson between them to help protect them when they as I had Fedor back on that line in the day. Would you see that as a, a third line or a fourth line with DSP and Edom? Um, both players are relatively different relatively defensively defensively responsible um so it could slot in either as a third or a fourth line Boudreau Boudreau loves to roll all four lines so the difference between a third and fourth line especially this coming season I don't think it's gonna be that huge right yeah it'll be interesting I mean you know we saw them two together when they played in Dallas um for at least one game so it was it was uh, interesting to see uh DSP and Edom on one line seemed like they you know they were a good uh, force as far as uh cycling the puck and uh back checking as well yeah I think they both have a lot of talent they're both very smart very defensively responsible um I think both players also can get some time on the penalty kill this year Oh yeah, definitely. What a, uh, also uh, Patrick Maroon? How do you think he fits in? You know, he played on the top line too as well for a little bit. How do you think he'll do this year in the uh, regular season? Uh, Maroon, because of his big body, when he has the puck, it's almost impossible to take it from him. Um, from what it sounds like, Boudreaux has his top two line set, so he'll probably slot it in on the third line next to either uh, Thompson or Raquel. I'm not sure which one they're going to pair him with. Uh, he seemed to play really well last season with uh, Palmieri and Perot. So in that case, I would think he's probably going to line up again with Palmieri on the other wing with probably, Ra- probably Raquel in the center, I would guess. That yeah, sounds about right. Sounds like they could they form that line either on the third or fourth line. Um, and, you know, it looks like the, the youth in general for the Ducks is, is going to be interesting to see, you know, since we lost a lot of players, obviously, in the offseason. Um, I think... Um, 
we could see, and I mean, you can you can quote me on this or uh, you know counter or whatever, but I think we'll see Maroon, DSP, and Edom uh, probably play a, a big chunk of the season, don't you think, at the NHL level? I agree. Uh, last season, um, I forget exactly when it was, but sometime in December or January, from that point on, Maroon played in every single game for the rest of the Ducks season. Whereas earlier in the season, he's been part of the rotation of wingers. Um, so if he keeps playing the other last season, I expect him to play all 82 games unless he gets injured at some point. Uh, I think both Edith and Smith will probably be put in that rotation that Maroon was at the start of last season. Um, and if one of them ends up standing out, then they'll solidify their place in the lineup full time. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's the thing that's going to be an interesting question is can all three play on the lineup at one time, do you think? I mean, I, I would think probably two of the three might be on there a little bit more just because of the addition to Heatley now. Yeah, it is. it does come out down to be a numbers game. And Boudreaux likes to keep players fresh, but he also likes to reward players who are playing well. So I do think Maroon is the one who will play most games out of those three. Um, after that, it probably will be smith Pelly based upon how last season went since he got more playing time over Edom. But if Edom can come into training camp and just light the world on fire, he'll get that playing time instead. And what do you think about the Heatley signing? You know, some some of the fan reaction I've gotten has been, well, okay, you know, we get this guy. He didn't do as well last year. Eddie and I talked about that on the previous podcast. But what do you think as far as him coming in and taking one of the young gun spots? You know, that's been kind of the criticism I've gotten from some of the fans. I think it's a fair criticism at the same time. I don't think he's taking a spot necessarily. It's going to come down to how they all perform in both training camp and the regular season. If Heatley is playing better than Edom, smith Pally, Maroon, or any young player on the Ducks roster, he should be playing more than them. If he's not, then one of the young players will play more than him. Boudreaux, he loves um, rotating players in and out. He rewards players. He will bench a player if he's not playing well. Um, see Penner last season. So if Heatley isn't cutting it, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue. And because he's only signed to a one-year deal for $1 million, it's pretty easy just to bench him on a nightly basis if needed or trade him for a sixth-round pick at the deadline. That's what, I, that's what Eddie and I came to the conclusion. We he said, you know, it's a bargain deal. You know, one year, one million. I mean, that's nothing to really be too concerned about. Because like you said, it's something where if he gets benched, he gets benched. If before the trade, uh, trade, uh, trade deadline, we could uh, send him to another team too. Yeah, because it's such a short deal and it's such a small amount of money, I think the best part of the signing is just the contract itself. It's a very easy contract that the Ducks can either get rid of or absorb onto their bench and not really worry too much about it. Yeah, I think it's just uh, it, it's more of just a short term. Uh, if they're looking at probably getting to bring in uh, youth to replace him next year, I, he would. I don't really see him getting a long term deal with the Ducks because if he does well, he's gonna want a five year deal with a substantial maybe three and a half million dollars. So I don't really see the Ducks offering that no matter how well he does he's pretty much just a a filler until they can bring up somebody like nick ritchie agreed it was in um carolina they uh signed uh oh who was it a couple of years ago um alex salmon to a one-year deal he played really well they sent to a long-term deal and now he's once again playing terribly yeah. so i'm hoping the ducks don't go that route yeah, um, I would. I want to know how uh, you think uh, some of the Ducks prospects, like uh, Nick Cordelli's had a, a pretty strong camp, uh, and uh, Shea Theodore had a, a wonderful season in the WHL. I want to see how you uh, you think those guys are going to contribute in the uh, the AHL this year, and if they have a chance at cracking the Ducks lineup somewhere through the season. 
So I think in terms of the forwards, the young players who'll be on the roster on a full-time basis are Eden, DSP, and Raquel. Um, and then after that, I think there's a collection of young players who will get called up depending upon what's needed. Um, I think Curtis is one of them. He's both a left wing and a center. Um, the positions of the Ducks don't have a lot of depth that on their current roster. So if any of the Ducks run into injury issues or the other young players um, just aren't playing very well, I think Cordelius could be one of the first players called up during the season. But I think he'll spend most of the season in the AHL. Yeah, that that seems like it's uh, the most likely option. Like uh, he had a, like I said, he had a strong camp, but uh, I like I don't really see him uh, getting a permanent spot on the roster. It'd be more uh, a, a Raquel kind of role uh, with maybe a little bit less games played, like Raquel had last year, where he only came up and played 18 games. Uh, with the roster seeming to be set, unless there's injuries, he'll probably maybe play about only about 10 games. Um, yeah, that's I, I yeah like you said I really don't see him uh, starting in the roster though. Yeah, he should just he'll be given a chance in Norfolk and hopefully he'll, he'll take that opportunity and just run with it. Yeah, and uh, what do you think about uh, Shea Theodore coming off uh, the seventy point season in the WHL? Um, I think uh, in terms of offensive play, he is an absolutely fantastic prospect. Um, I remember when the Fox, uh, when the uh, Ducks first drafted him. Um, a couple of years ago, I was listening to the uh, Puck podcast, and um, their draft expert Mike Morangi called him a Mike Green clone, and uh, that both got me really excited because Mike Green is so good offensively, but also worried because there's always defensive issues there. Um, he's a player though that I'm really excited about, and I think actually in the next two or three years, the Ducks are going to have to make a decision on who they want to keep, Theodore or Vatnin, because both of them are such high-risk, high-reward type players. I'm not sure if they want both on their roster at the same time. Uh, especially with um, the play of Fowler and Lindholm, you can only have so many young, offensive, talented defensemen on the team. Yeah, we've got a, a pile of them with Fowler and now Vaughn and Lindholm, and you bring Theodore into the mix. It kind of You don't have too many offensive def- defensemen. You want a guy who's going to stay at home. Uh, but what we've been really looking for in the top four stay-at-home defensemen for a while, but... Uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely going to have a tough decision to make. I think Theodore is going to be uh, a great player when he gets to the NHL. He's a He's been a power play quarterback for most of his time in the CHL. And anytime you put up 70 points as a defense, defenseman in any league, the, you know, it draws attention. Yeah, I agree. I, he's going to be wonderful running in a power play, hopefully in Anaheim, in the next couple of years. Uh, yeah, so uh, Raquel looks like he's going to have a full season in the uh, NHL this year, possibly as a third-line center. Uh, I'd like to uh, get your uh, input, uh, Thomas, on how you think he's gonna, where he's gonna slot in, how you think he's gonna do this season. Uh, I think he's gonna slide in on the uh, third, or, third or fourth line again. Boudreau, since he rotates his line so much, it's hard to say exactly where it's gonna, what line to call it. But I think he'll be the Ducks' primary checking center, um, at least if they're using Getzloff and Kessler in that role. Um, Raquel, he played uh, 18 games last season. He played a few games the season before that. Um, he finally got his first goal in the playoffs last season. The thing is that most impressed me, though, besides his uh, goals, his one goal in the games he got in was his faceoff ability. Um, the Ducks, as has been well documented, struggled a lot in the faceoffs last season. But in the postseason, he was actually uh, fantastic. He played in um, four games, and he averaged uh, a winning percentage of 58%. And the most impressive part about that is in three of those games, the Ducks were on the road, so they couldn't control the matchup, and he was still winning over 50% every single night he played in. 
So I think he's going to be a great help to the Ducks in the faceoff center next season. Yeah, we played some pretty good faceoff teams too with uh, the Dallas Stars and, and the LA Kings. You know, the guy guys like Korkoff, um, and you know the Sagan, uh, and the the Kings obviously have Jared Stoll, who's one of the best faceoff guys in the league. So uh, it seemed like he was matching up well against some top guys in the in the faceoffs. Yeah, and that's just something that the Ducks really wanted to work to address this offseason getting Kessler getting Thompson and I think um, promoting Raquel full-time will really solidify that core if only Getzloff could start winning some now yeah yeah I don't, I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon but he's not he's not terrible but it, it's definitely to you know to bring in a guy like Kessler who is arguably one of the best in the league and and Thompson's had success in the face-off uh, dot in uh, in Tampa Bay and and Raquel who at or only at such a young age has shown that he's a uh, you know, pretty dominant in the face-off, face-off circle. It's it's uh it's good to see in in young centers because sometimes it takes them a while to develop their their face-off game in the NHL, and he uh, seems to have that already. Yeah, it's fantastic to see from such a young player and a really nice surprise. Yeah, you know, you talked about Raquel uh, coming up playing uh, more of the season. Who else on your list, uh, Thomas? Do you think we could see you know injuries and whatnot? Uh, out of the prospect pool that could play this year? So I think there are a number of players, depending upon what the Ducks are looking for. Um, if the Ducks get injured on defense, granted they already have eight defensemen on their roster currently, but if you know three players get injured, I think the most likely players to be called up on the back end are um, Jesse Blacker, who we got from Toronto last November, and uh, Matt Clark. Uh, neither one, I think, is part of the Ducks' long-term future, but... Both of them, um, Blackers played over 180 AHL games. Clark's played well over 200. Both of them, I think, would be a safe option as the six-pairing defenseman, especially if we're with a um, Clayton Stoner or a Francois Beaujamais. Uh, after those two, the Ducks don't have a lot of talent in Norfolk. Uh, I don't think Theodore will be there yet this year because of his age, but I could be wrong about that. It depends when he turns 20. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Um, if he's in Norfolk this season, he could be called up as well. But if the Ducks are hurting on the blue line, I'd still rather see a more shutdown presence than someone to bring up to score, unless the Ducks need offense from the blue line. Um, for forwards, it's a much wider group, I think. Um, I think Louis LeBlanc, who they just got from Montreal, or um, a conditional fifth-round pick, has a chance to play if the Ducks are injured at center. Um, he's played 50 NHL games and scored 10 points in that time frame over the last, uh, I think it's three years. Um if the Ducks need help on the wing, they can call up um, Max Freeberg or Nick Cordelius or uh, Stefan Nason, the player they got in the Bobby Ryan trade a year ago. Um, they're actually really, really high on Nason and wanted to draft him in his draft year, but Ottawa took him literally the pick before the Ducks went. So the Ducks ended up trading down uh, with Toronto and with those two picks, drafted Raquel Gibson. So that actually worked out really well for Anaheim and then still got Nason a couple years later. Um, and also, if they need more help at center, I think they'll call up uh, William Carlson's a possibility. The Ducks are really high on him. Uh, I forget who said it, but at the um, Ducks open house, someone called him the smartest player in the organization. Uh, another player I think is possible is Stephen Whitney. He was an undrafted college free agent signing. He didn't have a great rookie season in Norfolk, but um, when he was signed by the Ducks, he was a very hot prospect talk commodity, and everyone will want to sign him. So I have to think when he was signed by the Ducks, I told him, you're going to get a chance at our roster within the next year or two. And as far as uh, prospects that you uh, don't see, 
playing in the uh, NHL with the Ducks, who would we not see coming up? Uh, so first of all, like I said earlier, um, any player not named Nick Ritchie who they drafted uh, last <laughs> right. night won't make it on the right. team this year. Um, and then there are a few others. Uh, one is Andre Peterson, who they picked up for Alex Grant at the trade deadline. He let um, he was Norfolk's top scorer this past season, but he just signed a one-year deal in the KHL. Uh, it's unclear if he's going to return after that or not, but he's definitely gone. And then um, Nick Sorensen, who's a player I'm really excited about, won't be either. He'll be playing in the uh, SHL next Sweden. It's uh, one of it's the top league in Sweden, and some people refer to it as the third best league in the world, behind only the Angel and KHL. Um, he'll be playing for, um, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Skelleftaik, um, and actually will be joined by uh, Ducks draft pick Marcus Peterson there. Um, so he'll be there for the next season, and then next year we'll ha- be trying to make the Ducks roster. Uh, yeah, um, and uh, it's been kind of thrown around lately that you know the offseason is kind of a dead zone for most hockey fans. Uh, uh, prospect camps aren't really uh, advertised and shown outside of, uh, outside of the cities that they're held in. Um, it's been thrown around that you know the NHL might need a, a summer league, much like the NBA. Uh, what do you think of uh, that idea, Thomas? Uh, personally, I'm not a big fan of it. I think it's important to give uh, these players some time to kind of rest and recoup in the off season. Uh, that being said, every now and then, if they wanted to just have a couple of ex- exhibition games here and there, I think that'd be a great thing, especially if they were to televise it on televise it and just get people watching. Um, I do know uh, in the last couple of weeks, there's actually an exhibition game played in Australia that uh, Emerson Eden took part in. Um, I haven't seen any footage from it. I wish I could. So I just think it'd be great is if not necessarily a summer league, but just a couple of exhibition games, put it on television, let people watch a bit of hockey, um, make it completely voluntary, um, make it stress that it's not going to be a big thing to so make it like the all-star game if you can. So there's not a lot of injuries. Um, you probably have to work out some kind of payment system. I don't know how that would work. Um, but a league itself, personally, I am against just because I do think the players need to take a breath, regroup, and then get back to the training. Yeah, well, how the um, – I don't watch a ton of NBA, but how I've uh, I've watched uh, some of the uh, the Raptors' uh, summer league in here is what they, uh, what they do is they, they bring up a lot of the rookies. They've, they've either just drafted, drafted, and haven't made the team or are European players that are having tryouts with the team. So it's a lot of their prospects who get together. They compete in a, a sort of group stage uh, thing, and then they have a, a tournament after. So it's it's a lot of uh, it's not so much the the roster players as it is uh, prospects and uh, players who are, are fringe roster players, just to to get everybody to be able to see them. And uh, I, I don't know if it's more marketable in the NHL because uh, you know the NBA probably has a bigger fan base in the u.s so having a summer league makes more sense but it's more so just the uh, the prospects and they kind of compete in a, a sort of prospect tournament uh that actually does sound pretty good although i do know that um at least in years past things going to happen this year there usually is a prospect tournament between anaheim la san jose and i think vancouver's taking part as well um I think that happened last August. I assume that's going to happen again this year. So that's not a full league, but maybe that would be, it sounds like a similar thing to that. Yeah, I, I don't know why exactly. Um, I guess they just called the Summer League as, as a name. But yeah, like I, I've, I've heard of the, the, those tournaments before. Um, and it would just basically be taking those, you know, throwing a little bit of flair into it and, and advertising it for TV. Uh, definitely be something I can watch. I don't really, uh, I don't ever actually get to watch any of the uh, the Ducks 
development camp at all. So, uh, yeah, it'd definitely be something I would watch. Uh, I don't know if it would appeal to everybody. Uh, it's it's more for show than for anything to show off the prospects to fans that don't get to really see it. Yeah, I think I would love for those to be televised or at least a stream online for people to watch if they want to. That usually seems relatively easy to set up compared to getting TV rates and whatnot. I would, but I would love to be able to watch those whenever I wanted. All right, that has been Thomas, our special guest this week. Uh, he's writes on the draft and all the prospects. He is our expert when it comes to the youth movement and the young guns for the Ducks. Thanks for joining us this week, Thomas. Uh, thanks for having me, and um, if you ever want me to come back, I will. All right, just to recap from uh, last week, we had the Boudreaux interview on, and we um, talked about the top two lines. The um, first line, it looks like, is going to be possibly Heatley with the Twins. And then the second line will be uh, Cogliano with Silverberg and Kessler. Um, any thoughts on the two lines, Eddie? Uh, nothing really new. Just thought I still really like that Kessler-Silverberg-Cogliano line. Uh, I haven't heard much from Bruce Boudreau since that, that interview. I'm assuming uh, he's pretty busy with his, uh, I believe it's his daughter, just had a baby. So, um, no, I, I'm... I just uh, really intrigued to see how long Heatley can stay on that first line. Other than that, that second line, if once we re-sign Silverberg, I think it will, it's probably my favorite line that I'm, I'm looking most excited to see, and probably the most definite lock to be a line on the the, the opening day. Definitely, because that line will be that second punch that they've talked about that the Ducks haven't had. You know, uh, having that. Um, great center with Kessler in there, and then you've got the hands and the speed, also Silverberg and uh, Cagliano. I mean, I could see that uh, scoring some serious points and, and still playing decent defense, you know, two-way. Yeah, yeah, they, they look like a real quick two-way checking scoring line that uh, is a, either like a good uh, matchup line to put out there and tire out teams or to uh, to come out after the gets off line has already done that and uh, come out on you know a tired team and, and just skate them to death oh yeah I agree and I think uh, you know looking at the other lines um, what I kind of put together for the third line I'm thinking you know Thompson takes that third line center role and then I see uh, Maroon on the left wing and then Palmieri on the right wing we kind of talked about Maroon and Palmieri together we were talking with Thomas, and I think that you know th- that combination of those three uh, could be pretty deadly too, because you got Maroon, a big body that can go to the net, and you got Palmieri. You know, he he can do some wraparound goals. He's quick on the trigger too. Now I could see um, him getting some shots off, and Maroon tapping some rebounds, or Thompson tapping some rebounds and scoring. What do you think for a third line? Um, I think at center it's really interchangeable, like uh, how Tom Thomas discussed that. Uh, uh, you know, we don't really have a true fourth line, so the third and fourth line are are like co-third lines basically. That they're just gonna, they're gonna probably get played the same amount of time because we've got who's left? We got uh, Bolesky, Maroon, Palmieri, Edom, and uh, Smith Pelly as uh, as possible wingers for those those four lines. So we're I, somebody's gonna have to drop out. Um, right. I don't know who, but I I really think. It, it's probably Edom. Uh, Bolesky seems, unless somebody gets traded, but you know, Bolesky might will take that. Either Maroon or Bolesky. It, it doesn't really matter because, like I said, it's going to be co-third lines. Bolesky is going to play one left wing. Maroon will probably play the other. DSP on one right wing. Palmieri on the other. They're they're arguably similar types of players. Both all like 
Bolesky comparing to Maroon and Palmieri comparing to Silverberg. I mean, to uh, DSP. And then you've got Thompson and Raquel who are going to win face-offs their big body. So, yeah, I, th- those are the lines I see. I, I like your suggestion with uh, Maroon and Palmieri and, uh, and Thompson. And I think, you know, Raquel, DSP, and Bolesky could be the, the other line. And then uh, it all sees what they do with Edom and who they leave out of the lineup. Yeah, I agree. You know, the, I have the fourth line, too, being uh, Bolesky and DSP and Raquel. And I think, you know, like Thomas was talking about, too, Raquel, you know, winning faceoffs is huge, you know. And Bolesky did damage last season. You know, hopefully he stays healthy and he's good to go. Uh, DSP did damage in the playoffs. You know, hopefully he plays more in the regular season. But like you said, I agree. I think those two lines uh, it will probably see the same amount of time. And I think if they can chip into secondary scoring, um, I think that they'll put the Ducks in a great position next year. Yeah, if they can do exactly what they did last year with secondary scoring, um, I think we have more talent this year to to contribute to secondary scoring, uh, not to uh, put any hate on uh, Saka Koivu or, or Timu Solani, but you know Solani was like 43, so it's, it's his numbers were always declining. Uh, same with Saka Koivu, his numbers were always declining. So, and he was never really on the the uh, putting the puck in the back of the net. He was usually distributing it. So, uh, I think uh, our secondary scoring, if we can roll the lines the same way we did last year, is going to be uh, is a lot better. And and it was already one of the best last year. So it's only improving. Yeah, definitely a youth movement for sure. You know, on the uh, third and fourth line. Um, and, you know, talking about the youth on the Ducks, the only news that we had this week was uh, Botman got re-signed uh, two years, uh, about $2.5 million was his uh, deal. So I'm happy to see that, you know, um, like we talk about offensive defensemen, uh, he brings a lot to the Ducks. And uh, I think, you know, all we got left now is DSP and uh, Silverberg that need to be signed. Yeah, um, I, I, it seems like the, the – I haven't heard the discussions are going bad. Um, I I don't believe they're in our any any of them in arbitration, so that's a good sign. Um, I I you know correct me if I'm wrong on that. I'm not 100 percent sure. I haven't really heard anything I, with that, but that can only mean that you know discussions must be they must be taking their time to get the right contracts. But I'm sure Smith Pally wants to stay. Um, you know you've seen he has this bromance with Edom, so I'm sure he doesn't want to leave. Uh, uh, I haven't really heard anything from the Silverberg side of it, but I, I don't really see him going either. There, there are a phase that we have enough cap space to sign and that we're probably just feeling out the right contract and uh, possibly bridge deals for some of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think both of them will get signed here pretty quickly. Uh, you know, Silverberg, he started out really good last year too. Uh, ended up only playing, I think, uh, what was it, 52 games, 10 goals and 13 assists. But, I mean, if he didn't... Uh, you know, injure his uh, hand, you know, I, he could have easily scored, I, I think, you know, close to 20 goals last year. So if he is healthy and then he plays on that second line with Kessler and Cogliano, I mean, he can definitely put up some some points and do some damage. So I think he'll he'll get uh, his deal done here soon. Yeah, I think he can put up some really, really, really good numbers because he's got a great shot on him. Uh, he's got one of the quickest releases in the NHL, and he's playing with a, a top-quality center like uh, with Kessler. And uh, the, the, that line's going to create a lot of opportunities with their speed. And um, with uh, I think Silverberg's going to be the trigger man on that lineup for for most of the, the shooting that's going to take place. Definitely. I, I mean, I can't wait. I mean, it's, it's like I keep telling myself, is it October yet? 
You know, I'm just know. like I've uh, seen hashtag is it October yet on on Twitter yeah. constantly. I know. I'm just like let's let's get this going. You know, there's not even uh, that much news going on. Yeah, it's all baseball. <laughs> it's all it is in the summer. It's all yeah. baseball. Yeah, but you know, in the NHL there have been some signings uh, besides Botman in this last uh, week or so. Uh, everybody's favorite player in Dallas, Roussel, got uh, a four-year contract for $8 million, so all of us Duck fans will be able to enjoy him for another four years, Eddie. Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> I can't wait no. to see that. I, know. I hate that so, guy so much. <laughs> He's such a dirty player. I think you, me, and the entire uh, Ducks fan base uh, agrees. <laughs> I think everybody outside the Dallas fan base agrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um some of the other signings, uh, you know, oh, Ryan O'Reilly, he finally got his uh, deal done in Colorado. He's, yeah. I don't know why why Colorado have to make it so difficult to sign this guy. He scored 60, 60 some odd points last year. I'm not, I think it was 64. I'd have to check it. But, uh, you know, when a guy scores 60 points, you don't usually, like the first time they had to re-sign him, uh, Calgary put in an offer sheet and they matched it right away. Like, like, oh, why would you do this? Well, why didn't you just sign the guy? And then now they go back to arbitration. They finally lock the guy up for, well, I think it's two more years. And he he can't have a great relationship with the Colorado management. I, I don't see him staying there long term unless, I don't know behind the scenes, but unless there's a good relationship on from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like it. So I, I just don't know why you don't move quicker and and avoid arbitration to lock up a guy that has this talent and without Stastny is such a significant player to your team. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. I mean, you know, Stastny's gone, so it's like, hello, who else is going to be? It's a no-brainer. Like, it's Duchesne, O'Reilly, McKinnon. Those are your three guys that you lock down because Stastny leaving, when I saw Stastny go, I was like, okay, O'Reilly's getting contract. They, they're going to have this done quick. And then they take him to arbitration. They do the same painful process they did last time. It's just, it's, I don't, I don't even get it. It makes no sense to me at all. Right. I mean, and like we talked about uh, before, too, I mean, that division is going to be even tougher this year. I mean, Dallas got better. St. Louis got better. Chicago's always going to be up there. I mean, so, you know, you've got these three teams that are going to battle out. I mean, obviously Colorado, hello, they did well last year too. So, I mean, they're going to be in there too, but it's like, you got to figure this out sooner than later because yeah, I mean, that division is going to be competitive come this next season. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, uh, younger guys, McKinnon's going to have coming off a great rookie season. He's got another year of experience under his belt. Uh, and the, the all, a lot of the teams just seem to add, you know, obviously Chicago and St. Louis. I think St. Louis kind of took a step back in a sense. Adding Statsy was great. Um, they must have some confidence in their goalies to to bring them uh, a step forward. But, yeah, it, the Western Conference is just leagues ahead of, of the Eastern Conference right now. Definitely. And, uh, you know, out of the Eastern Conference – as you mentioned, uh, some news there. We had the uh, the Rangers signing uh, three players: uh, Kreider, Zuccarello, and even today, uh, Broussard got a five-year, twenty-five million deal. So it looks like uh, you know New York is definitely going to be uh, still up there uh, next year. New York's one of those teams, though, where they always seem to be favorites and then they disappoint. It's kind of like San Jose in the playoffs. Um, they just they seem to like at the start of the season a couple uh, a couple I think two years ago, a lot of people had New York as the favorites to win the cup and they disappointed. Um, so I I don't 
New York's uh, kind of a mystery to me. They lost Brad Richards, but they have a coach who can actually coach. They don't have uh, Tortorella anymore. So, uh, And they made the Stanley Cup final, so uh, locking down three young players who were instrumental to their season in Broussard, Zuccarello, and Kreider uh, is definitely a huge step forward for them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out in the East. I mean, obviously, we, we always focus on the West more because that's that's our team, you know, the, the Ducks and then obviously the uh, two divisions. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting, you know. It's been slow right now, but we'll see what other news comes about. And yeah, we'll there was going. a Toronto signed uh, Reimer and Booth too. Uh, the Reimer deal kind of surprised That's me right. because he asked for a trade offer and it seemed they were trading him, but he signed a two-year deal. Uh, Booth signed a one-year, one million deal with uh, the Leafs that was similar to Healy's deal. So uh, that's really a lot of the games I have to catch here, the Leafs games. But uh, it's uh, interesting signings, to say the least, from the Leafs. Uh, they, it always seems to be interesting when it comes to Toronto. So <laughs> we'll have to see how their season goes about, too. Yeah, definitely. That's another team to watch out in the East. I mean, for you, obviously, because you're, you're right by there. Um. And, uh, you know, moving along, we have um, some more fan questions that we're going to answer this week. Uh, we had Jake uh, from Chandler, Arizona, asking about who's going to start in goal, uh, Gibson or Anderson. And uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, I like to see Gibson a little bit more. Um, I know, uh, Eddie, you, you think it'll be Anderson. Um, any other thoughts that you have on the two goalies or LaBarbera or anything you want to add? Uh, not much that I have uh, haven't already mentioned before. Um, like, I'd love to see Gibson-Anderson as being the, the, the pairing to start the season. But um, like Thomas stated, like we mentioned a couple podcasts ago, um, Gibson's the only goalie of the three on a two-way. And I don't see, <clears throat> I don't see um, them bearing LaBarbera's contract after just signing him. But... Uh, Gibson will get time. I'm I'm sure um, he'll get a couple games, and you never know. LaBarber might they might just bite the bullet, like uh, Thomas said, send LaBarber down and bring Gibson up to st- to play with Anderson. So it'll be interesting to see. But I, I definitely think Anderson is the starter slated in for opening day. Yeah, I mean I I wouldn't disagree. Like I said, I, my preference I, I like Gibson, but you know Anderson uh, played 30 plus games last year. Uh, did well, you know, obviously he had to go out with the injury, which was unfortunate uh, against the Kings, um, which was a bummer because we don't know, you know, what, what could have happened or may have happened. I mean, not going to be just wishful thinking, but, you know, it was a bummer the way he went out. So I hope that uh, he comes out on fire, uh, you know, because he was 20-5 and five last year in the regular season, uh, 9-2-3 save uh, average and 2.29 goals against. So, I mean, pretty good numbers for a rookie. Yeah, it was really good. Um, he just seems really calm, and just like Gibson, they they seem to uh, they don't get rattled that often. So it'll be great to see if he can have uh, even close to similar season in his uh, sophomore year. Yeah, definitely. We will have to keep our eyes on uh, both the goalies. And speaking of goalies, you know, um, Jonas Hiller is gone now and uh, so, uh, was picked up by the uh, Calgary Flames. Uh, I had another question here from uh, Tom in Glendora, California. He was asking about uh, what did Hiller really say? Because, uh, you know, there was a lot of discussion. Um, some people thought he was talking about the Kings fans and Ducks fans, which he wasn't. And, and some other nonsense was out there in social media. So, again, Sportsnet to the rescue. Um, you know, we posted an article uh, up on Hiller about what he said. And uh, basically, the only the only thing he really said, and I'll quote it here, and um, you know, I'll get Eddie's input because Eddie's from Canada. He can talk about this more than I can. But uh, 
he just said that, you know, quote, I'm really excited to be part of a team where the city really cares and the people are into it, meaning hockey, and people really know about hockey. Now, um, to me, I, I don't see much in this, Eddie, but, I mean, you're from Canada. What is it like being a Canadian hockey fan? Is, is it a difference? What do you think? Um, I think what rubs people the wrong way is the fact that he says people that know about hockey because when you bring in a question – hockey fans knowledge of hockey that rubs people the wrong a lot of people the wrong way they they get they take it to offense i don't think he really meant to word it that way but uh when you take into uh uh to count you know canadian teams and their fans um compared to american teams and their fans and i don't want again i don't want people to take this the wrong way um i've i've had limited experience to uh american teams i've seen detroit play in uh uh, the Joe Louis Arena, and uh, it's great atmosphere. And uh, I've been to Honda Center, and you know, it was a great atmosphere. And obviously, I'm a Ducks fan, so it was uh, amazing to go to. But when you when you see um, what Canadian fans put together, um, when I was when the when the Leafs were in the playoffs uh, last time, and uh, they went out to Boston, uh, they filled I don't know thousands of people in the street up front of the Air Canada Center to watch the game on the uh, on the big screen outside. It just there's not much else that that we can cling on to other than hockey sports wise. We've got you know it, it, the Blue Jays are only really big around the Toronto area. Uh, so when you got teams like Calgary, they've they've only got a CFL team which has limited fan base, and then you've got the Calgary Flames, and then you know the Edmonton Oilers. It, it's either NHL or CFL when you have hometown sports teams here. So it, it's I get where he's coming from when he says. It, you know they're more into it because they're really all in on it that's all that's all they really have it's we only have hockey most of the time so i get what he's saying there it, it's just the uh the the bringing into the question um uh, how much uh ducks fans care about hockey is what what they kind of took the wrong way yeah i agree i mean i i, I know there's comparisons with uh, you know, other teams around us and whatnot like that. And I don't think that was the mentality. But, yeah, I mean, obviously people down here, we know our hockey. You know, back in 93 when I was a fan, I didn't really fully understand it, I'll admit. I mean, that's how it was back then because, like you said, we had baseball, football, basketball. I mean, back then we had the Raiders and the Rams and football. You know, we had the Angels and the Dodgers. We have the Padres. Uh, we've got the Chargers, too, for football. And then Lakers, and then, I mean, now all of a sudden the Clippers are up there too. But it's like we've had all these other teams. So it's it's kind of, you know, difficult when people follow so many other sports down here, like you said. Yeah, and, and like hometown sports too. Like um, I, I don't follow the hometown hockey team, but I, I see the, the difference, you know. Um, I still have a, a huge passion for the Ducks, but when you uh, when you see the things they organize here for the Leafs and everything, it, it's uh, it kind of amazes me some of the things they do, and and you just see it uh, in uh, how much uh, we they care about hometown sports. Like for they do it for the the Raptors, they do it for the Blue Jays. We've only got one team in a, in a majority of sports, so uh, you know a lot of times they they get behind it, uh, which seemingly a lot more than. Uh, than some of the larger fan bases do because it stands out more more than more than anything. Definitely. And you know, for everybody out there, if you want to know what Hiller really said, you can um, go to Google and just uh, put in what did Jonas Hiller really say? And it'll pop up with our articles being one of the top ones listed there. And you can click on it. We've got some of the words on there uh, of where he talks about hockey. 
couple of the uh, questions and answers. And then uh, there's also a link to Sportsnet where you can hear the audio too. So with that kind of we'll take care of all that and, you know, hopefully we can move on. I know um, Hiller just had appendicitis and it sounds like he's recovering. Um, hopefully he does well, uh, you know, in Calgary, Eddie. And I mean, hopefully we beat him, obviously, when we play him. Yeah. Uh, I'm not too worried about the Flames this year. Uh, you know, we had a couple, I think we had a really bad game against them um, last season. Where we lost about 7-2 or something, but I don't think the the Flames are a playoff threat. So I think we should be fine even with Hiller. Uh, right. He should be worried about their, their defense more than anything than the fans. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and then, you know, the other uh, player that's come up for the Ducks in the news has been uh, Surrey. Uh, I got a question here from Jeff in the Los Angeles area. He's, he's asking what's his status. Uh, and, you know, a couple months ago I talked to him um, through uh, Facebook and, and basically the information that was also posted on Facebook too uh, was that he had an extra surgery on his wrist. He wasn't able to, to come back at the end of the season like he liked and he wanted to. Um, but then it seemed like uh, from the open house event that uh, Murray was talking about Sir Ray and saying that he was finished. So, I mean, it, it, it appears that he's done. Um but I haven't heard anything else, um, you know, and then uh, obviously some of the financial stuff people ask about uh, buyouts and whatnot, Eddie, and, uh, you know, how how do, how do the Ducks deal with that if he's injured? Um, I think he's, uh, regarding to his status, I think he's pretty much done because, or at least with the Ducks, uh, you know, bringing in Stoner, we have Fistrick, uh, we still have to move Allen, or if we're going to move him. So he's on the edge, and um, with his coming back from injury, uh, if he's still on injury, uh, you know he his uh, contract's kind of a tricky situation um, with how we're, re- regards to how we're going to pay him. And uh, if there's a buyout option, it's it, it's, uh, it's trickier than normal when it's when dealing with a player on long-term injury. It's kind of similar to the the Pronger situation in that sense. So, um, regard with regards to his time in Anaheim, though, I think it, it's coming to an end, though. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think it might be. Uh you know, game over as far as at least with Anaheim, uh, for Surrey. Um, that's all the questions that, uh, we had this week, uh, that we, uh, a lot of time for, um, just a couple quick updates on the blog, kind of reconfigured some things. If you notice, if you click on some of the subsections, you'll see more of the recent articles listed there to make it easier for you to view. Um, I didn't want to have people clicking through so many pages, um, just to make it easier for people to find information on there. And um, we just want to give our fan follow of the week to um, Section 328 on Twitter. They actually do a podcast for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, they helped us set up everything on iTunes. And uh, kind of a sneak preview for you guys. We're going to uh, do at least one or two podcasts with them when the Ducks do play Carolina uh, this year. So that should be uh, exciting, Eddie. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Uh, it's only going to be a couple games, but it's going to be uh, going to be fun to hook up with those guys on a podcast or two. All right, and that's all we have time for. Thanks for listening. The Anaheim Ducks are the Stanley-